And a very good evening. You're listening to KXLU Los Angeles. My name is Mark Gordon, and this is Center Stage. I hope you're sitting down because we've got a delightful show, and I use that word very cautiously because I'm not always, every week you don't hear me saying delightful. You haven't heard me say that. But anyway, tonight uh, we're going to talk about Cinema Without Borders, and it's the the wonderful project by Bijan Tarani. And, um, God, he's had it for years. And let me just give you some of the highlights of his career. I really feel like I'm, I'm sitting, I'm talking to this man, he's done all this work, and I've just done so little. I mean, you ever have that experience where you just go, oh my God, this guy has done all this amazing things, and what have I done? So let's just get started, because that's why he's coming up tonight, because we want to find out more about what he's doing and, um, and give us some insight, because he's doing some great things. He's directed over 50 documentaries in Iran and Finland. In 1968, he produced his first film on traditional Tamasha theater in India for UNESCO. So we're going to find out about that. I hope I didn't mispronounce that. Um, He's also worked as a producer and directed over 500 minutes of animated shorts and series, which is interesting because he also specializes in working with children and guiding them through uh, their work uh, collectively to help them animate and edit their own stories, which is really exciting. I mean, children have so much to say. And taking that one step further, he uh, worked with children on an animated piece where they could reflect on their memories of the bloody days of the Iranian revolution. So it's so nice to, uh, for him to take the time to help those children uh, cope and maybe find a reason for the unreasonable, let's say. Uh, in 1981, his uh, Children Olympics, also animated by children, won an award at the Lips- Leipzig International Film Festival. And now... Um, in his later years, let's say, and among doing all this thing, he's taken that experience and he's applied it to film criticism. He's influenced by the French New Wave and he's wrote for many publications in Iran and the U.S. And thereby it leads us to this uh, new project of Cinema Beyond Without Borders, which has been around for a while, where you can go onto the website and you can hear conversations with... uh, with accomplished filmmakers, and he's interviewed 450 of the top filmmakers uh, working today, and so much, so much more. So I know that's a long introduction, but one last, one last thing. Um, he do he has a uh, a children's book that's going to be coming out called The Yellow Leaf. Well, actually, it is out, isn't it? Yes. It, Yellow Leaf. It won uh, Best Book of the Year award in Iran. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's just a brief uh, a brief synopsis of uh, of his uh, his career, and he's sitting right here in studio with us. And Bijan, welcome to Center Stage. Thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. The honor is mine. Um, so now, tell me how how it started out for you. And first of all, let's go back because obviously, were you in Iran during um, the revolution? Yes. And and so so tell me about that and how that impacted you as a filmmaker. I think it was a great experience. I loved cinema from when I was a little child, and uh, even at home, I had a shelf that I pretended it's a theater. I was changing posters, movies, and all that. Um, so that was the love I had for films for many, many years, and. Uh, 
I followed my dream uh, in order to start to work in the field of uh, filmmaking and uh, then of course talking about revolution it has a great impact on all of us who were involved it was uh, a very unique experience to see things changing so drastically in front of your eyes and every day there was a big change you couldn't even um, say what will happen tomorrow was so this with the Shah of Iran who ended up he migrated to the US uh, yes it was during that time and uh, so Reagan was in office or was it Carter uh, it, it, I think it was Reagan was in the, the okay. office and then Carter came who made the deal and all that and um it, it was, you know, an experience that you never forget, and it impacted a lot of uh, filmmakers. It actually impacted a lot of younger generations of filmmakers. That is why the Iranian cinema uh, has been blooming after the revolution, and you have seen so many wonderful films from Iran after the revolution. That has many other reasons, too. And um, for us, who are older generation, uh, it, it was a kind of mixed feeling. We had to cope with something that we didn't expect. But again, there were so many positive things around it that learned us to uh, stay on our foot and try to do new things, find new ways of uh, telling stories because the whole revolution is about changing things. Well, so talk about these children that you started working with and in helping them heal did you heal as well was that a, was that was that something that led you to do that so you could kind of find a way to heal from what was going on as well as to help these uh, children with the Jolly Kids which was the name of the film which was a famous square in Tehran that the massacre happened there and these kids were witnessing that uh, some of them and um, the idea was really trying to have them express what they have experienced so that will help them as you mentioned heal these wounds inside uh, for me was also the same thing trying to cope with what has happened bring it out in a different way to tell the story of what has happened because there were so many brutal shots of uh, uh, real documentary and newsreels that uh, nothing impacted you any any longer you know so you became was, you became numb numb but this way when children's by their own drawings were telling this story uh, that is how uh, it 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 uh, it was really impacting anyone. It was uh, it was telling a story that you were stopping to watch it whole through this short film, and I think you would more horrified uh, about what has happened uh, than if you were watching a newsreel, and uh, you were you were understanding what a tragedy had happened. What were some of the worst things that you saw? And then, like you said, that this was something that actually had a positive influence on you it's interesting how you don't talk about all the bad stuff but you say oh well it, it really it led to this positive thing so how do we go from that sense of darkness into this sense of light were you just kind of an anomaly with this thing or, or were other people like-minded creatives that saying no this is this something good has come out of this uh, i i think there were of course a lot of problems a lot of people who 
um, had no part even the, in the Shah regime were just uh, lost their lives and lost their properties, everything they had. This kind of things happens, unfortunately, when a revolution happens. And sometimes you feel that, okay, we, we just did everything, but what we have got is not much better than what we had before. But the reality is that over time you realize the changes are so deep that they don't show so much as like, you know, it's like an ocean. So, What do you it, mean they don't in, show? I mean, just it takes time for a revolution so, so they, to, to show its effects. Right. It's all retroactive. Exactly. It doesn't happen overnight. I mean, it, it might have been, I mean, obviously it's shocking at yeah. first. But then the impl- implications aren't relevant or realized until down the exactly road. Exactly. Like the new generation in Iran, you, that's why you understand what has happened. Because this new generation, not all of them, but most of them are so bright and clever and have a good understanding about what is going on. And they don't bow to the pressure and they try to be independent and do things of their own. Which uh, I had a trip uh, after 29 years uh, back to Iran last year for about 50 days. That was 50 shocking days. <laughs> 50 shocking days? And because I was discovering how much everything has changed during the 29 years that I wasn't there. And how people have changed. How some some few things have really changed for worse, but a lot of good thing, uh, things has changed for better and in, in people. And that wasn't about the government. It was about people. Did you feel like a stranger? You know, this notion that you can really never go home again. And I remember the film Chaplin, when Chaplin used to become famous and he goes to this pub and there's just that sense of isolation that it's just changed for him. So when you go back after so many years being away, you're pretty much a stranger in your own land, aren't you? Exactly. And it, it was a mixture of uh, pleasure and torture, I would say. <laughs> it was, uh, I had a lot of pleasure meeting so many young people, such a, a people with so much joy of life, and that you hardly see it here. And at the same time, feeling the loneliness feeling that I'm, I've, I've, I don't belong here anymore was scaring me. So I had really terrible nights. I hardly could sleep at nights because, you know, I was feeling I'm in a, in a world that I doesn't belong to me anymore. But it take a little bit until I started to feel that I have friends. I love the friends over there. And I love this kind of uh, joy that I see in their lives and they don't give up and they just go on and enjoy their lives sounds like you never gave up as well I mean producing uh, all these documentaries and the animation film Uh, do you find yourself more at home in animation? Uh, not really Uh, the the reason I started to do animation was that I had a little bit of trouble uh, that uh, you know making live action as uh, some restrictions that were made for me. And therefore, I started to go to animation because I hardly can draw a straight line. Well, was this also, too, because your animation, did it contain satire? Actually, I think that that's one of the and reasons. And it's, it's easier to do that in an yeah. animated piece. You can exactly. poke fun 
at the government or at politicians or what have you, if you use animation, it 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 doesn't really have that much of a sting as it would be if it were a, a live action feature. Absolutely, I think that was the reason I stuck with animation for a while, and even now. For uh, the students in different schools, I have a yearly uh, festival, one-day festival that every year belongs to animation in one country. And I try to show how animation could be powerful and have different faces. What about stepping into the role um, into the role of a film critic? You go, you, you're, you're behind the camera, and now you're observing and criticizing uh, and also this influence uh, by the French New Wave. How did that feel when you stepped into that role? Uh, I started writing film critics since I was very young. I was maybe 17 or 18 years old and back in Iran. And back in Iran, uh, there was there were friends who were receiving Kaido Cinema and uh, they were coming, we are all getting together every week, and they were translating uh, one or two articles. And uh, that was like the whole new world for us. And uh, that brought us to the new wave, uh, French new wave. And uh, uh, I was very much influenced by, by that and also by their kind of thinking through uh, the cinema. Now, let's just go back. They're kind of thinking, and uh, for those who aren't familiar with the French New Wave, explain that for a moment. Uh, French New Wave has started to bring the reality. So that's, there is no beginning, no middle, it's just whatever is now, right? Yeah, exactly. Like and Oliver Dahan or his films. And, and what they did was that uh, to bring it without going through classic way of filmmaking, trying just to bring it to your face so you could see what's going on, and there were, of course, different type of approach uh, into the new wave. Uh, you, you would see you had uh, Jean-Luc Godard, you had uh, François Truffaut, you have others that everyone had their own different way, you know. And But in general, it was totally a new look at the way of filmmaking. So you don't have to follow the classic ways of filmmaking anymore. Interesting. So tell me about, now let's flash forward, uh, Cinema Without Borders. When I first heard the title, I'm thinking, well, I've met people at Doctors Without Borders. Uh, so tell me, what is at the base of, uh, what's that base value for um, Cinema Without Borders? I, I was very much into trying to <clears throat> help um, international cinema and foreign movies in U.S., and I was thinking, you know, what would be the Kaya cinema of today? Uh, I think it should help international cinema. And I was thinking, what would be the nice name for it that I came up with, the Cinema Without Borders? And 11 years ago, I started the Cinema Without Borders. And uh, in a very short time, uh, I don't know if it was the name or it was the kind of content that started to attract people from different parts of the world to come to this site, uh, you know, try to contact me and even a festival like uh, Palmer Springs International Film Festival and also Palmer Springs uh, Short Fest. They both decided that they will offer an award from us, which is called Bridging the Borders Award. It actually goes to a film that helps bringing people of the world closer together or different cultures. And uh, so the site has started to grow. 
and started to we have so many people young people from around the world who are contacting us from any country that you can imagine and we have uh, friends writers who are writing for us and helping us to to go forward and we recently we came up with a new change in the uh, kind of facelift to the um, a site to make it more modern and uh, more new and have a good archive of the uh, 5,000 original articles that we had so far. So um, it is a big help for uh, independent filmmakers and international filmmakers especially and those who are interested to learn about international cinema. And if you go to uh, cinema bo- cinemawithoutborders.com, you can find, uh, you can find the site. Um, what does it mean to you to be a filmmaker and be in this space? Because you're, you have some documentaries you're currently working on, correct? Yes, I'm. Uh, after many years that I didn't even think about making another film, lately I'm starting to work on uh, two projects for uh, two documentaries. And uh, I hope I make a comeback that way while I'm still going on and keeping the work on uh, cinema without borders, especially that we have a plan that will uh, just come up with the detail of that in the near future, which is helping uh, resolving a lot of uh, distribution issues for the international filmmakers because there are over thousands of thousands of films that I've made that they don't see the you know light of the day. They don't get any theatrical release or DVD release or even online release. So would this be another VOD project, or this is going to be as in the actual theaters? Actually, it will be in actual, uh, not theaters, but it could be in the garage of your home. It could be in a, a school that you know. It could be in a, in a rooftop of a building. So we are trying to find ways to make channels of, you know, through uh, different filmmakers who they provide their own location and make them a chain. And See, it's interesting because back in the day, I mean, we had art houses. Yeah. And, and that's kind of uh, gone now. But it was so exciting to go to a theater, and maybe it didn't have the best screen there, but you go to this theater and you walk in, there are all the one-sheets of the different films... And you just got a, a sense that you were surrounded by this wonderful culture of all different kinds of films. And now we have the multiplex. One company owns 3,500 screens. They can kind of dictate what we have an opportunity to see. And then we also have, you can stream it. But there is a, an experience with actually going to a theater where you're in a dark room and it's on a big screen. And if it moves you and you're motivated, you start a conversation with somebody after the film to discuss it. And and there becomes that, like, there's that sense of synergy and also with it, an understanding of our humanity. Exactly. There is nothing can replace the human touch and uh, being with other people uh, experiencing the same thing than just uh, sitting in front of your computer or TV watching something. And and then this, and, and, and knowing that actually there are so many, thousands of thousands of filmmakers that they have projects that might be nice because you never know that, you know, when uh, we're discovering films that are amazing and they have not been seen by anyone to get even a chance to uh, 
to get a you know a release uh, for theaters or also any kind of release and there as there are so many of them i think it will be a great experience for the audience to discover them and there will be a way that to make at least a little bit of money for those who are making the films and this uh, chain that we create hopefully will grow to uh replace a lot of uh problems that the traditional distribution is uh, causing and uh, we would uh, may, we may have to go with a, a fundraiser in order to make some funds uh, get some funds for basically start this project but uh, I'm very hopeful that it well, will be uh, helping uh, was filmmakers. this also a way to help nurture filmmakers exactly because I, I don't know correct me if I'm wrong but I think at at really the the baseline of most films it's an it's a passion project isn't it it's something that they're the filmmakers passionate about getting out there and if it's successful that's an awesome end result but that's never the end game for most films is it yeah unless you're unless you're one of these big tentpole films it is it is so hard these days to um you know equipments have become very cheap so everyone could get a good camera and start to shoot and make a film. The problem starts the moment that you start to uh, looking for an audience because a film without an audience doesn't mean anything. It's, not it's kind of like if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't exactly. make a sound. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I'm very hopeful that uh, we could make a difference. You know, it's just uh, I know that even some of the friends are telling me, oh my God, what are you planning to do is not going to happen because there are all these uh, major companies, this and that. But I believe, still I believe in the power of individuals. I, when, it, when all of us could come together and uh, make this happen. We're joined tonight by Bijan Tarani and uh, he's our special guest. If you'd like to find out more about what he's doing with Cinema Without Borders, go to cinemawithoutborders.com, and uh, he's got some exciting things that he has planned to do. How do you deal with that negative feedback? Because everybody, they're they're naysayers on every corner. And I know that uh, sometimes... People are going to just be negative for whatever reason, and it can really stifle creativity. And perhaps people go, and they know that they're going to get negative feedback from this person, and they go there, and it just basically, uh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then that, that filmmaker, that writer, all of a sudden they start going, well, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. I mean, because think of all the things, all the successful things that have happened in this world. And I'm sure they were shut down. I love that. He, he wrote, um, You Light Up My Life, this song. And he was turned down by all these record companies. And then, was it uh, Gifford? Gifford sang this song, right? I think that's what her name was. And he goes, when he wins the Grammy, he's up there and he holds the Grammy Award. And he said, most of you turned me down, some of you twice. And it's a huge statement. And if that guy would have listened to all these people, he would have stopped. You know, uh, um, there is an experience that I have personally. Uh, it's not exactly uh, maybe quite related, but in a way indirectly related. Um, uh, when I was in Iran, I admired the 
sense of humor of John Landis. I know a lot of people don't like him, but the director, director, but yeah. I loved his sense of oh, humor. Where American Werewolf in London, yeah, yeah, and many other of his films, I think, have a great sense of humor. And I was no one. I was just with a few friends, just started, and I told them, "Look, I'm going to uh, find John Landis and see if I could work on a project with him." And they were, every time that I was telling this, everybody was laughing, especially when I was leaving the room, I heard them, they were laughing on my back and, and making fun. I came to US and actually there was an animation project that unfortunately never uh, completed. I went and I found John Landis and I convinced him to join that project. And actually we work on a project that time, but I worked with him. So I took a picture with him and I sent for those friends. <laughs> And so things can happen. If you really want them to happen, it will happen. So I'm very positive about uh, the chances of Cinema Without Borders bringing uh, a little bit of change to the way the things are for international filmmakers. Where are you in the process? You, you were talking about maybe doing some crowdsourcing. I mean, what step are you with uh, this We are process? putting together right now... Hmm, Everything that we need uh, for the crowdsourcing and for fundraising and everything, detail of how things are done. And uh, in, in a month, we'll be ready to actually start the process. It's exciting, huh? Absolutely. Now, how long has this idea been in your head? And Oh, for many years. Yeah. For many years, but uh, I didn't find the right time to do it. And I think this is the right time. Now, you talked about a comeback, right? You're going to mount a couple of documentaries. Have you started working on the documentaries? Yes, I have started. It. There is a documentary that will be Blong's uh, old book uh, by um, a Russian photographer who shot many uh, pictures in about 150 years ago in Iran. And um, instead of going and making another, you know, documentary of talking heads and all that, um, actually animating the pictures he's taken, uh, trying to build uh, the world that he was influenced by. And that's a, pro a process that I've already started working with an animator on it. What what is about this uh, this photographer that resonates with you? It is about uh, how he could go and take pictures of the people in the streets and in in their homes and and uh, you know everyone in that time in Iran, which is uh, very very nice. And um, this is uh, there are shocking pictures of people who are buried alive in in the in the sand and you know as a punishment and you could see they are still alive and then there are people enjoying their time or traveling by train and <clears throat> so so many of those interesting uh, pictures of the life at that time. Uh, is, so is the process different for you now? I mean, does it feel different to you? It is different because uh, things has changed a lot, and uh, I know that um, computers sometimes uh, make things uh, worse or better. But I think I, I'm always thinking about the positive part of it. I've tried to learn and educate myself as much as I can uh, with uh, the new technology, so I would be able to use it uh, in my advantage. Uh, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, I see a lot of friends of my 
generation that um, they don't even want to use uh, internet uh, and they, they find it you know kind of uh, evolved that they don't know evolved that is uh, disgusting and things like that I don't think like that I believe what has happened is a great achievement what constitutes success for you I mean you talk about great achievements what are some of your great achievements I think um, uh, what I really liked in so far is that I've, I've written a few pieces of uh, humor that was very well known in the country I have uh, my children books and then also I am uh, very happy with, with what I see when I go and look at the uh, where in the world they, they people go and check cinema without borders when I go and see that uh, we have people from Macedonia to uh, Vietnam uh, all the European countries uh, African countries everywhere they go to the site it's so exciting it's, it gives me a feeling that I am I've really done what the, is the meaning of the title Cinema Without Borders uh, managed to pass these borders and get to people and then uh, there are things that I really love for example the great legendary Andrew Weiler uh, he won our actually our award uh, for uh, Valesa one of his films and he was so nice the piece that he wrote about cinema without borders or Giuseppe Ternatore uh, who made uh, you know Cinema Paradiso love that film uh, what a great movie and the music yeah and it's so heartfelt his, what uh, is your on favorite board part? Of our advisory. What is your favorite part about that film? I, I think um, what I really liked was the, the part with the young boy first time at the theater. It was just uh, big, I had some sort of similar experience uh, as a was that where he's Well, because was that where he's waiting? He wants to go out with that girl. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that, because what will you do? And he's he just is there waiting for her, and it's a kind of thing where. It's if you don't take that chance. So many times, those opportunities slip away, but he wasn't going to let that slip away. And that is just, a, it's a magical film. Uh, you know, uh, one of our writers, uh, James Olmer, uh, who had been also writing for New York Times, <clears throat> he loved that movie so much that he went and he bought a small house in the same village, and he lives there. <laughs> so Really? Yeah. He's our uh, international editor of Cinema Without Borders. And uh, we have supporters like that, like uh, Terry George, um, uh, who won, you know, uh, Oscars for his short and for his films and all that. And uh, he's one of the uh, supporters of Cinema Without Borders, as I mentioned. Uh, How do you get all these people on board with you? And But I want to back up a minute, because you said something that, that I wanted to ask you about. What about borders that people set up in their mind to block, right? We have this perception, yeah. this map of the world, and it's almost as if we create a border that we will not take a chance to hear somebody else's story and in some ways is your organization to offer a platform for these films to screen so that people can see how other cultures live because especially now i mean this 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 environment that we have right 
Yeah, exactly. And and to say, well, well, because I I've seen some brilliant Iranian films, not lately, but back in the day, I remember there were so many beautiful films. And it's fascinating to... I, I love cinema for the mere fact that I can go and I'm transported into a world that is so different than mine. And I'm like a child in wonder of what's going to happen or, or, wow, look at how they do what they do, where they're doing, right? Yeah. And I think that's very exciting because with that comes a sense of understanding. And it also enhances my humanity. Absolutely. I think one of the ways that we could learn about the world, we could try to break those invisible borders in our mind and start to have an understanding for others and break this resistance that we have in our mind is just getting to know people. That's the only way. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways are movies, of course. What are, are some the easiest of, ways. what are some of the, your favorite films that you've seen over the last year? Um... In the last year, the film that I really liked, I have to think about it, because there was this um, uh, film by uh, Iranian filmmaker, um, Asghar Farhadi, uh, The Salesman. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. A very nice movie, a very, very interesting film. And um, again, there was another uh, Iranian film uh, it was it, it was shocking after years that I thought Iranian films are kind of uh, going down in popularity and now I see them with it uh, you know there is one film another film called um, Eternity and One Day and uh, that was another film which uh, uh, was so close to the feeling that I got from uh, Rocco and Brothers it has the same feeling of that Italian film, you know, that you see a family and the problems of the family and you get so close to them uh, to understand their problems. And there was uh, this um, <coughs> film from Croatia, The Constitution, uh, that I happened to see that in the um, Southeast European Film Festival here. That was very, very nice. Um, uh, so I, I have really I, I can come with a long list because I watch like 10 to 20 films every week and it's a big uh, investment yeah exactly <laughs> it is like how do you have time to do your films where are you watching films I just you know I, I sleep very little you know I you know I think I got it from my father that was not sleeping more than four hours a day. So I'm fine if I sleep four hours, good. And then I can use the rest of the time watching films, writing about them, working on the projects. You talk about your father. What values did you learn from your father? And how do you apply those in your life? Um, my dad uh, was in the army. But at the same time, uh, he was uh, writing poetry. And he was, he had a great imagination. And I found, I, I learned a lot from his imagination and uh, the stories that he was telling. Tell me one of the stories that you recall. Um, it, I, it was mostly about his time in the army and then one night that uh, he ran away because he was uh, ordered to kill people 
that were surrounded uh, by the soldiers and he didn't want to do it so he ran away and there was rain so he was uh, going through this rain he, he catches really a bad cold he becomes completely ill and just uh, he doesn't know where he is uh, when uh, he actually enters a mark and he thinks the corpses are real people and started to fight with them and all that so it was like a, a very strange horror story <laughs> kind of thing but it it was about you know this melancholy that uh, he had about melancholy this, yeah melancholy and then not uh, wanting to kill people, innocent people, and and running away and getting going through this all nightmare. It's interesting because I must think that. Do you think he was at heart a pacifist? And yet, there is that incongruency because he's forced through circumstance to go and fight and possibly take somebody else's life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was a very. Uh, kind man he would easily cry over anything you know just uh, if somebody was hurt or and all that he would go mad in a moment the next moment he was crying and you know so a very emotional character let me ask you this do you, do you think that from the experience with your father that you are going to follow really what you were passionate about perhaps he didn't have that opportunity and in some ways, by doing what he did, by supporting you and giving you those sense of values, it opened up that door for you to go through where you could then be self-actualized. Do you t tell me about that? I, I think um, he never gave me any advice in a way. Mm, it, he, he let me learn from life and he let me to learn from his life. Uh, because whenever you start to give advice to people, that's the time that they won't listen to you anymore. Right. Nobody uh, wants to take the advice. They want to stumble. Exactly. And I, I, I think I, I learned from, a lot from that and the fact that he wanted to be a poet and he ended up to be a soldier, something that uh, maybe he didn't like that much, uh, but tried to be a poet as much as possible uh, after he left the army. So, when you came to America, how did that how did that impact your uh, your craft? Um, I it wasn't much of a huge shock or anything like that because uh, we were we knew so much about U.S. First of all, Iran is one of those countries that we had more uh, translation of uh, American literature in Farsi than, you know, in most of the other countries. And we uh, were watching a lot of American films and, uh, and all that. So that helped to mm, have an understanding about where we are heading. And um, uh, we, we usually study a lot. It, the general education in Iran is much higher, uh, even when I went back there uh, after 30 years, I find it still the general ed education is much higher level than uh, we have uh, in in our country in U.S. Mm -hmm. And um, that was um, helping us to cope with this situation much easier 
uh, a lot of Iranians have the same feeling. They they, they easily cope with a uh, uh, new way of life. And one of the reasons goes back to our history because we were conquered by so many different kind of rulers from around the world. And what happened is that instead of uh, those guys changing us, we start uh, to adapt a little bit to them and then adapt them to our culture. So that's how we easily get along. Tell me about your perspective in terms of when you see, if you watch the news, and how Iran is portrayed in the media in America and how being Iranian... How, when you when you look at this, how does it? How does it, just tell me, kind of explain to me, really, what is the reality of it, and what is the sense of propaganda? Um, of course, there are things that uh, no Iranian likes about the situation in Iran, uh, not before the revolution and not now. Uh, but the thing is that the way that uh, media faces the issues uh, in Iran is that the um, the public the masses don't get the real picture they are thinking they are dealing with crazy people who are uh, riding camels and uh, running around in a desert um, but if they know that um, there are so much similarities uh, between um, the cultures, uh, the American cultures and Iranian culture, and people have so much understanding. People have, we have even a more uh, women filmmakers uh, than uh, U.S. When you think about the population, and uh, we have musicians and all that. Everything that is happening here is there. So the real uh, people don't get the real picture, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And because of that, all these, uh, then the governments use that too, uh, you know, uh, in order to build a picture that they want in order that they would be able to do what they want. And um, uh, it's very important that through films and movies, uh, we try to change that. And that is what the Iranian cinema has been very successful. Even they never showed, they never glorified the situation they showed the real Iran people with problems Mm -hmm. but that shows that there is a human face there well Bijan do you have anything else to add about uh, what you're doing cinema with borders great (laughs) restaurant in town anything (laughs) what do you (laughs) well um, there are you know that where where are some good Iranian restaurants Uh, there there is one in Glendale which is very famous called uh, Rafi's Place and what's the specialty what if I went there it's kebabs kebabs yeah okay mostly you know there and uh, some of uh, if if you want a place that also give you good stews and kebabs uh, then you could go to Westwood to Shahzad restaurant oh is that that's just a very small place right a small place yeah yeah I think I've had that (laughs) yeah <laughs> and but there are over two hundred uh, Persian restaurants, uh, you know, uh, a lot of good ones are in Orange County that are quite far uh, to me where I live in Burbank. Uh, but as far as the cinema without borders, I think we really need the support of uh, people who love international cinema and 
one of the ways that they could support us is just was going to the site and uh, giving us a feedback about what they think. And uh, so we learned more about what we could do to make it more a more useful site for everyone. Well, thank you for coming up and uh, sharing your uh, your story and information about Cinema Without Borders. I think it's uh, exciting what you're doing. I love the website. I looked at it, and uh, a lot of interesting material there. And you really get a sense. It's almost like you're reading a really good film magazine. And um, so if you want to check that out, it's uh, cinemawithoutborders.com. And uh, once again, we've been talking with uh, Bijan Terani. And uh, thank you so much, and best of luck. Keep us posted with, uh, with your next project, all right? Absolutely, and, and let us know when uh, when we can go to and see one of these uh, films and in this new kind of theater distribution that you're you're coming up with sounds very exciting. Thank you, Rush. Thank you for having me. And just a reminder, you can listen to Center Stage every Tuesday night at seven p.m. right here on KXLU Los Angeles, eighty-eight point nine FM. We're also streaming on the internet at kxlu.com. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and all those wonderful social media sites. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next week, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage.